Russell Brand, the bête noire of the UK scene, talking to Jeremy Paxman, Paxo as we like to call him here in the UK. Even Russell Brand is talking about the fact that these issues are important. So the non-tree huggers are kind of getting sustainability. So he has said the only systems we can afford to employ are those that rationally serve the planet first, then all humanity. Not out of some woolly beep tree-hugging piffle, but because we live on it currently without alternatives. So the conversation about sustainability is also mainstreaming. So given all of that, why hasn't sustainability mainstreamed? Why are we not seeing everyday citizens demanding sustainable goods and services? Why isn't every business around the world really passionate about sustainability? Why do we only have a handful of CEOs that publicly exhort the business community to really grapple with sustainability? Obviously, lots of reasons, but for me, a really important reason is that Business, government, civil society, we haven't thought hard enough about how change happens. So, ta-da, here's a change model. Very risky to show you this at 3.30 on a Monday afternoon on a dreary, cold November afternoon. But for me, this is why I think we haven't seen sustainability mainstream, because business, government, civil society, all the different actors probably haven't thought enough about how change actually happens. So this is a very simple change model. It's the one we use at Forum for the Future. It's on our website. Do feel free to use it ad nauseum. It's there for everyone to enjoy. And we describe the shift from experiencing the need for change through to entering a new mainstream in six different steps. And this model alone will tell you why government campaigns, which are designed to shift behavior, generally don't work because you can't legislate to experience the need for change. You have to feel the need for change. And that happens through seeing is believing. It happens by going out to the future. We do that a lot at Forum, imagining a different future as a prompt to do things differently. And it also can happen through an emotional narrative, which is where brands come in, because brands can tell an emotional story. Government actually is much better at the top end of the curve, where it provides the enabling conditions of legislation to create the new mainstream. And equally, innovation is really brilliant when you're creating that pioneering practice. You need less innovation skills, more collaboration, more networking as you move up to enabling the tipping point. So being deliberate about the change interventions that we make has never been more important. And the other reason why I think sustainability hasn't quite yet mainstreamed, and if I were to paint the overall position of business and sustainability, I'd say that today we're between steps three and four because I think we're close to a tipping point, but we're not quite there yet. And this is where this notion of system innovation, highly technical term, on a Monday afternoon, apologies once again, but really, really important because we need to understand how do you move from pioneering practice to creating this tipping point? And again, maybe some bad news, that there isn't one silver bullet. We use system innovation to describe a set of interventions that happen together to shift from pioneering practice to creating the tipping points. And so when businesses say or brands say, what's the one thing I should do? I would say, actually, there's a range of things that brands can do. And that's why we're focusing on three approaches this afternoon. But if you think about some of the big societal shifts we've seen recently, then if you think about Facebook, then Mark Zuckerberg had the idea for connecting students on campus, but actually without social media, without digital platforms, that idea wouldn't have scaled. 
So system innovation is a set of interventions that work together to create significant change. And so as brands, it's really important to think about what's your contribution to enabling that scaling up and that shift from pioneering practice to tipping points. So we think this means a big shift for both brands and for businesses and for brands to begin to think of themselves as system innovators, to do two things, to shape the context around you, we're going to hear more about that in a moment, and to innovate to win, to innovate new products, new services, and to do those two things together, because that will move us from pioneering practice to tipping points. So the three levels that we want to talk about this afternoon are leading the consumer, connecting with R&D to spark innovation, and creating the conditions for change. And each of our speakers is going to share their experience of these three different types of brand-led innovation. But very quickly, what, what we mean by each of these, leading the consumer on sustainability. I love this quote. You've probably seen it before. But if I asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses, Henry Ford. So brands have this amazing ability to create consumer pull, to lead the consumer. And I, I'm really glad to see that actually the days of waiting for consumer pull on some aspects are kind of going now. And so brands are beginning to understand that they can actually lead the consumer. So how about leading the consumer on sustainability? And that's why we at Forum do so much work on the future consumer. And on your table, there's um, some information about Consumer Futures 2020, where we looked into 2020 to understand what will everyday consumers be wanting? What will they be buying as a way to help brands lead the consumer towards more sustainability? So that's the first type of brand-led innovation. The second is to really use, harness the power of R&D. And really, again, think to the future, but understand well, what do our future consumers want and what's our brand's best self? If we were truly sustainable, what would we do? What would we be doing? What would we be look like? What, what kind of products and services will we be putting to market? And to use those insights to feed into your long-term innovation pipeline, which then come out into products and services in the short term. So using innovation to really think long-term and harness innovation through R&D, and that's what Tom's going to be talking about from Ecova. And then thirdly, creating the conditions for change. There's an increasing recognition that the challenges that we face as we head into this VUCA world are just too big for one organization, one brand to tackle alone. And so we're seeing a breed of brands that are trying to create the conditions in which the businesses will be successful, but they tackle these big societal environmental issues. Couple of examples, Nike has big aspirations for closed loop business models, knows it can't get there immediately, but has done various things to try and change the system around them. So the app that is put out there for designers to specify sustainable materials, and it's great partnership with NASA, which is all about trying to understand well, what do the sustainable materials look like. So very deliberate attempt to change the system around them to address what they call these system locks that are preventing sustainability from mainstreaming. And then close to home here in the UK, Kingfisher through B&Q has this big aspiration for every home in the UK to be a net energy generator, which is very difficult because actually if you look at the existing housing stock, it all needs a bit of a retrofit. And right now that market is very small. So Kingfisher through B&Q here in the UK has been part of something called the National Energy Conversation to shift the debate on how we view energy to create demand for retrofit in domestic houses. And Bella's going to be talking about how Sky is approaching creating the conditions for change to tackle some of the issues that Sky thinks are important. So three different ways in which brands 
can really use innovation to create significant change. And the point is that we need all three. One isn't better than the other. Actually, we need brands to adopt these different ways of innovating. And actually, if they all innovate together in these three different ways, we may well get to where we want to be, which is actually to create this tipping point and create the new mainstream where sustainability is the norm. So that's by way of introduction. And finally, he's quite clever, Albert Einstein, and he has many quotes. And this is the one that is my personal favorite at the moment. In order to really harness innovation, in order to really understand the system changes around us, we do need to think about things differently. He's famously said, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. So in other words, we need to shift the way we view issues. We have to innovate. We have to be prepared to fail because actually for each failure, there'll be a great success out there. So as you listen to our three great speakers, I'd urge you as individual brands and businesses to think about what's your new mindset? How might you harness some of what you hear this afternoon to help your brand lead innovation to create the system change that we so desperately need to see? That was my little introduction. I'm now going to hand over to Louise, who's going to talk about leading the consumer. Hello. So, yeah, I'm Louise, Head of Sustainability for Innocent Drinks. Um, what I'm going to spend the next 10 minutes doing is firstly just giving a really brief overview of Innocent because I can never come to an event like this and assume that you've all actually even heard of us. Um, briefly then what sustainability means to us before then moving on to the piece around how we engage the consumer. And I've bottled it slightly by saying engaging the consumer. We absolutely endeavour to lead the consumer on sustainability and you can decide for yourselves if you think that we're doing that. So the Innocent Business started 14 years ago. There's a quaint little anecdote about how it started, but we don't have time for that. But basically, it was three friends who wanted to get together and start a business that helped make people's lives a little bit better and a little bit easier. And what they settled on was a fruit smoothie, so 100% whole crushed fruit smoothie. Most of you have got an example of one in front of you. And from small beginnings, we've now today got quite a large portfolio of smoothies and juices and even a little range of veg pots. Um, I've been with Innocent for 12 of the 14 years they've been going, and I can hand on heart say that one of the things that's been utterly consistent is keeping the quality of our, produ our product really at the heart of everything that we do. So that from small beginnings, we're now an exciting place where last year, one in three households bought an Innocent. And for me personally, I can't believe we're quite at that, at that scale. So an exciting growth journey is what, is what we've been going on. As well as being sold in the UK, we're sold on continental Europe. And I think that in terms of something else that's been consistent as well as product quality is the tone of voice of our brand. The way we speak to our consumers has been really clear from day one and consistent. And it's all about speaking very simply and naturally to people whilst being a little bit cheeky as well. Um, but I think that tone's really enabled us to talk to them about a number of topics. So sustainability, specifically, we think sustainability is about leaving things a little bit better than we find them. And the reason we want to do that and why it's important to us as a brand is that we've got this thing we call the nursing home test when we're old and retired and sat in the rocking chair. We want to look back and feel like we were part of a business that we can really, really be proud of. And underpinning that core philosophy are the innocent values. So every innocent employee is employed because we believe they display these values. And twice a year as part of our assessment process, we're assessed against these. And we're constantly reminded of them. So they're up on the wall in the chill-out area, surrounded by all our baby photos. 
And it's just become a bit of a dialogue internally. Living the values is one of the most important things that we do. And this responsible value you see at the top is synonymous with sustainability. So to help bring the values to life, we've obviously got a sustainability strategy. Um, the first pillar of this, the sustainable brand piece, it refers to a number of things. It, it refers to our commitment to wanting to make products that fundamentally do you good, as well as our commitment to wanting to in integrate sustainability within all our internal processes. But it also talks about our ambition to want to lead the consumer into making more sustainable choices. The next three pillars are just a kind of a standard approach to looking at an end-to-end -end supply chain. Our entire supply chain is outsourced, so this is quite a challenge for us to try and really cover all the regions that we're sourcing from. That's why it's very much a journey. We're definitely not at any point claiming to be perfect or that we've got this sussed at all. It's an epic journey and one that will never end, but we're really putting our feelers out to every corner of our supply chain to try and address sustainability issues. And then finally, the piece around our legacy, we give 10% of our profits to charity. And the majority of that goes into the Innocent Foundation. And that has a mandate of helping the world's hungry. But we also have a small amount that goes into the charitable initiatives. And I'll talk about one of those in a minute. Okay, so engaging slash leading the consumer. I think in terms of what I mentioned earlier with the tone of voice that we use with our brand, I think we've opened up a dialogue where we can cover an awful lot of topics with them. So... We've been talking to them about all sorts of nonsense on the side of our packaging. We've got a banana phone, and we invite people to ring and have a chat, and they do, and they talk to us about all sorts of really bizarre things. We invite them to come and visit. Once a year, we have an AGM, and we invite um, 100 of our consumers to come and talk to us about what they think we should be doing. Um, but I think in thinking about how we talk to our consumers, there were three key themes that came out. So the one that I wanted to share first was, I think you have to be consistent. So, first of all, we've got an innocent promise that we've made very clearly and is now on all of our packaging. Every innocent product has got this made clear on the side, and it's something that we're very conscious of internally to always want to stay true to. And in addition to constantly communicating through our packaging, as for so many brands, social media is a massively important um, communication channel. And we use that now so that between 5 and 10% of all of our posts have some reference to either our charitable giving or sustainability. And that could be talking about what we're doing internally at Fruit Towers that we're proud of and we want to share, or as well as making some nice illustrations of some of the national and global initiatives that are going on. And some of this content we're seeing people share several times over. And in addition to that, people feel compelled to share back with us some of the stuff that they're doing, some of their own little initiatives, for instance, what they're doing with our packaging. Okay, so the second thing that we try to do is to be helpful. We know that there's up to 40% of the population who are in that category of really wanting to do more about living a more sustainable life, but they just don't really know how to go about doing it. It is confusing. It is really hard, and people are busy. So we teamed up with the WWF uh, last year and worked on a really great campaign, and it was about taking the live well principles that WWF had identified which really could lead to living a more sustainable life. So five steps for a healthier planet, for a healthier planet and a healthier you. And it was a set of principles that we felt that our consumers could really relate to. And we talked about it through social media, through our packaging. But we also tried to take it just one little step further and to 
pick seven of the nation's favourite recipes and just put a bit more veg in, take a bit of meat out. And there was a real tangible example of how they could take a step onto a more sustainable path. Now, I think for me, this campaign was a really nice one. It's also one that I think we could do loads more with. And I think moving forward at Innocent, we want to be doing this kind of thing at a much bigger scale. And then we come to a big scale, um, this is the last example I'm going to give. So whilst we want to be consistent with the messages we're giving, I think we can be different with how we execute some of that communication. And this is the thing that we're probably the most famous for. We had a very wacky marketing manager 10 years ago who got an idea one day about the little knitted hats that we had on our labels. Could we actually knit hats and put them on our bottles? And we thought, well, okay, who are we going to get to knit the hats? And that just sounds a bit crazy. But actually, by contacting a number of care homes, we got a series of grannies across the length and the breadth of the country. And actually, people of all ages now join in, knitting little hats for us. And to this day, this is the 10th anniversary of the Big Knit, and it's live on shelves at the moment. You'll see it in a number of stores. And basically, for every bottle sold, we give 25p to Age UK, and that helps keep old people warm at winter, along with a, a number of other things. So it's a really engaging campaign. People can get involved in a number of ways. And what comes from it is some really amazing stories. So this is Grace. She's 103 years old. She lives in East London, and she knitted 50 hats for us. So everyone at Fruit Towers was really moved to hear about Grace's story. And we, with her permission, put a little post on Facebook. And we got 69,000 likes, which is by far the most likes we've ever had, like by miles, on anything we've ever posted on social media. And we've got quite a good following. So we've just been really blown away by the response that this gets. But what was really interesting for me was this is the first time we've ever talked about it on television. So we had an advert on the telly. And we were just absolutely swamped with hats. So we got more than double the number of hats that we got last year. We really weren't sure whether this was going to be a call to action or just another nice TV ad whilst watching Coronation Street. We got over 1.2 million hats this year, which absolutely smashed through any targets we hoped of setting. Um, so for me, this really illustrated the impact of being able to use media such as television. Um, and the last thing I'll just say is internally, we've now got a bit of a mantra of what is the next big knit? What is the next campaign where we can have this level of traction and engage people? Um, so if you've got any ideas, I'd love to hear them. Thank you very much. So next up is Tom, who's going to share with us the Ecova R&D innovation story. Okay, thank you. Um, so I have the challenge to bring you um, the R&D story, which uh, usually is then a little bit more technical. Um, but I'll, I'll try to uh, explain myself. And, and, well, if it's not clear, you can maybe ask later or uh, um, see some other exciting presentation tomorrow that will link in, into this one. Um, I will talk to you about our ambition to go global, which is uh, an ambition that was formed after a yeah, more disruptive innovation exercise we did. Um, and that the ambition here is to uh, indeed to learn from from the virtuosity of nature uh, and at the same time the simplicity of nature and to implement that as a new business model. So yeah, we, you can believe that claim or not. Uh, at least I, I think it's true that Ecover over the years we, we started as a, as a small business um, embracing sustainability at the heart since the start. So that about 30 years ago uh, that Ecover was started with the ambition to, to make more sustainable products. And over the years, we have yeah, achieved some, at least some results uh, that are uh, quite ambitious for the industry, uh, be it the factory we built through, through a lot of bio-based new pioneer ingredients we developed to uh, our, our plastic that we use for our bottles, which is uh, completely plant-based. Um, but at the same time, uh, a few years ago, we, we realized 
you're doing all these crazy, great things and crazy things as well. Um, but uh, we didn't feel we were going we were going fast enough and going far enough. So we uh, set up this journey uh, together with Fordham, uh, by the way, to uh, to do more. And, and this is because we felt, first of all, Ecofair was built on these sustainability principles. And, of course, this is who we are. This is our reason to be on the market. So we, we need to be uh, really uh, cutting edge if it comes to sustainability within our market. Otherwise, we, re we lose a little bit the reason to be. Um, but the other one is that we feel there's a lot of incremental innovation out there, all very great stuff. But if you look at the net result globally, it doesn't bring us any far further uh, than we are today. Even the contrary, we're going still uh, backwards when it comes to sustainable solutions. So we set out this journey to uh, inspire more trans transformative change, so really disruptive change. Uh, this was done in, a, in an open collaboration process, so not only with a lot of people from internally, uh, but we invited yeah, a lot of people from, from the whole world, let's say chemistry, from chemistry to appliances, to artists, lawyers, uh, a whole bunch of uh, crazy people. And we, 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 we took them on a journey to, imagining, yeah, to imagine the world uh, in 10, 20 years from now. And, and how would that world be and how would that world connect to, to the business that uh, we have? Um, so we set out to imagine the journey and, and one of the key themes that always came back is, is this um, no, the, 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 uh, the link we were trying to find in nature and, and the things nature can learn us. Uh, so we imagined our ultimate natural cleaning. And I deliberately put system and not product um, because you looked at yeah, what, what, what can we deliver as a company. So we, just, we don't want to sell just products. We want to uh, provide, in the end, uh, a system for uh, healthier living, uh, if you can put it that broadly. But invented, well, I'd say, inspired through nature and made through science and creativity. I'll skip that one. Um, and out of that exercise, uh, those four key areas came out. So these are areas where we look at how can we change, completely change our business model, how can we make our own product abundant by adapting a very radical um, yeah, game-changing technologies. Um, and I'll talk to you a bit more about the global challenge that we took up, which was how can we design our business to be more uh, like an ecosystem. And if you look at uh, the current situation today, we have, as Ecofair, we have uh, two factories. We're building a new one in, in U.S. Uh, at the moment. And, um, and we, we say basically send ingredients from all, all around the world to the factory, make it new products, and then send our products uh, within either Europe uh, or U.S. Um, but that's not the way uh, um, an ecosystem works. An ecosystem works with locally available resources and creates like an own local system um, really geographically defined system uh, specifically for that area. So we're thinking of that idea, and, and it sounded great. You know, how can we uh, function more as an ecosystem? How can we embrace this idea of, of, of local, so, which is about using local resources to provide local needs, uh, to fulfill local needs, um, and even uh, with, with, with local innovation? Um, because it's such an abstract idea, uh, we wanted to really make it into a pilot. So we wanted to make it a real case. Um, and that's why we took the island of Mallorca, because there are worse places in the world uh, to start a pilot. Um, but also because it's a, like a defined area. Uh, it's an island, so you really have a defined boundary, defined borders. It's a perfect size. Uh, it's still you know, an, a European island, so it's connecting to uh, some of the European project funding that we might 
get through it afterwards. So it was a perfect case where we're exploring how can we make the cleaning products that are needed for the island, which are a lot actually, because a lot of hotels using a lot of cleaning products. How can we make those cleaning products just based on local available waste sources? Um, so what you're currently doing, we are mapping all bio-waste streams on the island, and we're trying to link that to what we need, and also trying to figure out if we use certain waste sources, are we then not disturbing other uh, industries that are out there which are relying on that source uh, to build their business. So we basically want to pioneer a new model of doing business now on this island of Mallorca, but then hopefully then to expand that model uh, to other areas uh, in the future. This is a bit of a roadmap. Uh, I'll quickly going over that, uh, that how we want to upscale it. Um, and important there one is that we'll also, uh, because we rely so much on, on identifying these local, local resources, uh, which are all bio-based, we want to be firstly make our products fully bio-based. Currently, there are about 80% on average bio-based. By 2016, we're going to have all our products 100% bio-based. Um, but then knowing that they are bio-based, of course, you have good sources of organics and you have bad sources. If you look at palm oil, which is disrupting uh, rainforests, etc., um, that's not the best example of going bio-based. So we're really looking for these alternative sources uh, to turn to make our products. And one, one great example is, is a thing we, we launched uh, a few years ago, which already was replacing the tropical oils with uh, local feedstock, uh, based on, on yeast we found in bumblebees' nests. So we use that technology, the yeast from the bumblebees, to transform local oils into a new range of surfactants. So it was kind of a first step towards this local idea, but the next really amazing step uh, that we're looking into together uh, with, with partner Solazyme, uh, also presenting tomorrow morning, so definitely if you want to know more about this, yeah, check out the presentation tomorrow morning. Uh, using algae as a kind of platform technology. And this kind of platform technology offers us the opportunity to really go global because this uh, is a kind of technology that can, can be implemented anywhere around the world using any kind of feedstock that is available at that place. So basically what it does, you're going to hear more details about it tomorrow maybe, <laughs> uh, very simply said is that you put, just like this bioreactor, you put anything as a biosource in it and you have a very clean output of oil. And that oil you can then use to turn into uh, our functional chemicals we use in our products. So this is kind of uh, new platform technology that we are pioneering. Um, and of course, yeah, one of the reasons why we do that is that our industry does not need to rely anymore on these tropical feedstocks coming from all over the world uh, to be sent to our factory. And this is more how we see the future of uh, how we grow our ingredients, how we make our products. Hopefully, uh, one day, algae can be grown know, within the city and use, be used as a, the main source uh, to make our product. So what the real aim of this uh, project is that we start mapping the biosources on, based on, on, on a defined surface like Mallorca. From that analysis, we want to be like the catalyst to use that biosource and turn into products, maybe any kind of product. Um, and then, you know, want to be the ones that take that uh, and, to, and, and into, make it into an end product uh, at the end of the day. So we want to really be kind of catalyst for the bio-based te bio technology within a certain area and really turn that into uh, products. And this becomes like our new 
maybe our future business model for Ecover to really be the catalyst for developing bio-based technologies based on waste streams and turn that into local, local products. And the whole localism, um, I think we heard enough about sustainability and, and the word has been worn down a little bit. Uh, and indeed, this is also what's something we are tapping into that we also believe that really the, the, the local energy that's now you can feel in communities, local communities, having lots of energy. This is the energy you want to use to really becoming this, this more global company, so using the local energy available and turn that into a global business model. And there's also one uh, step we already took. Um, and so we used, currently, we introduced algal-based soap as one of the first, as, as the first uh, soap maker, basically. Uh, we used the algae from Solazyme, turned it into soap already, and put it in our product. So that's being, that, that product has been made, uh, I think, a few weeks ago. Uh, there's now a few of them standing on the, on the tables there. You will not see any difference in, in the product. But there's some uh, yeah, algal story behind uh, the liquid in that bottle. So it's like the first step uh, on our journey to this global model. And that's it. So it's quite difficult following Ecover and Innocent, two amazing brands who make it very easy to be good, which is always a good thing, I think. Wish I had had some knitted hats to bring to the table. Instead, you had some pretty brochures. So a year ago, we started work with Forum for the Future, and we did some future gazing with them. We wanted to look right out beyond our normal timeframes at Sky and think about where the big issues were and where Sky could play a part in terms of sustainability. And where we've come out is the approach you see today, which is an evolution of, of where we were previously. And just as context, I'm just going to talk you through it briefly. First of all, we make sure that we're focusing on the positive impact that we make through our day-to-day -day business, the what of what we do. So the job creation the tax payments, which we didn't think would be a differentiator, but in fact have become one in a, in a slightly unpleasant way recently. But also the way that our content can enrich people's lives and can open them up to new ideas and new possibilities, and also the way our broadband services connect people to each other and to the world around them. Beyond that, though, we want to make a choice around how we do business. So we want to do business in a way which builds durable value for our business and for society as a whole, so just as an example of that, take the work that we do on the environment. We want to ensure that as a business behind the scenes, we're doing everything that we can. So we went carbon neutral back in 2006, and since then have taken a number of steps to drive sustainable environmental sustainability within our business. And the picture you see there is our new studios, which we think is the most sustainable broadcast facility in the world. Not quite sure, so we talk about it being the most sustainable in Europe. It's got its own CCHP plant, which will then be used to um, power other buildings around the site as we develop. The wind turbine that you see provides all of our office lighting. And there's natural ventilation, which helps with the kind of overheating problem that you get in studios, which normally requires huge amounts of air conditioning. We've got a target to halve our carbon intensity by 2020. We've already cut it by a third against our baseline of 0809. We're also working with our suppliers and partners, for example, greening production, television production, working with our broadcasting partners to ensure that they have clear understanding of the carbon impact of their production and have an ability to reduce that production on production. 
And we're also working with our set-top boxes, which hopefully some of you have in your homes. And our set-top boxes today are 50% more energy efficient than they were when we started out, despite the fact that we've piled in loads and loads of innovation and technology to make it a much better experience for you at home. But because we are in so many households across the UK and Ireland, we're now in well over a third of homes. We want to go further. We want to reach out to our customer base and beyond to inspire people to take action themselves. We do that in three ways. First of all, we aim to get people active with Sky Cycling. Over the last few years, we've worked with British Cycling, we became their principal partner in 2008, to support elite cycling across the piece with Team GB, but also with the newly created Team Sky, to create an inspirational story to encourage a whole nation, hopefully, to get active. When we started out with Team Sky, Dave Brailsford, who was the performance director, told the, uh, the press who attended the launch, that within five years he was going to create the first British winner of the Tour de France, and they almost laughed him out of the room. Since then, he's done it twice. We've also worked with councils right across the country to deliver thousands of free cycling events, and so far we've got over 1.3 million people cycling regularly as a result of the work that we've done. Sky Rainforest Rescue is the work that we do, and the environments reach out beyond the work that we do within our business to our consumers, and we're working with WWF and have been for the past four years, some of them in this room today, to help save a billion trees in the Amazon. We've done that through fundraising in the UK. We've raised three million pounds, and Sky has matched that pound for pound. And through that money, we are working with the Acre State Government in Brazil to support 1,250 farmer families on the ground to enable them to get more out of their land without slashing and burning, which is absolutely critical with the kind of smallholder economy that they have out there. We're also working to build up sustainable forestry supplies like rubber and acai. And we're working in schools. Every school in the region now has an environmental education programme. Then in the UK, we're using the project as a hook to engage consumers in the issue of deforestation and inspire them to love the rainforest and want to protect it. We're doing that with programming. We've got a great programme coming out in the spring uh, with Freddie Flintoff. He's cycled 500 miles across the Amazon. We also do that digitally. We just had a big campaign with Ben Fogel online called I Love Amazon Week, and we do it on the ground as well. We take Rainforest Rescue out to schools and to botanical gardens and to festivals right across the UK. It's critical, of course, that we're acting in the UK as well as in Brazil and the Amazon itself, because it's only by looking at both ends of the spectrum that you're going to be able to drive change. But the thing I want to focus on today is Sky Academy, which we launched just last Tuesday, and you all have brochures on your tables to flick through. Sky Academy is a set of initiatives which aims to help a million young people reach their potential between now and 2020. So why are we doing this? We've already got big programmes in the environment, in sport. Why would we want to reach out further? Well, it's our 25th anniversary next year, and we wanted to look at how we could support the generation born since 1989 when we launched and we knew from the work that we had done with Form for the Future that skills was a good place for us to play. It was somewhere where we could really contribute. We recognise that for both for individuals in this generation, but also for their generation as a whole, things are pretty challenging. I'm very glad that I personally am not of that age now, that I'm not coming out of school or university trying to break into um, my first job. But they're also facing, as a generation, massive social, economic and environmental challenges that they are going to need help from all of us if they're going to crack them. We want to be able to play our part in helping that generation to reach their potential and to so they can contribute to society in this rapidly changing world. 
that Sally talked about earlier. And we hope that Sky Academy will do just that. We know that it's a space that we can contribute in because we've been doing it for 10 years now. We have a programme called Sky Sports Living for Sport. It helps 30,000 young people each year address challenges that they have. We put sports stars into school. schools. We have a team of 80 athlete mentors all at the top of their game in their own sports. Not all quite at the top of their game as Jess, but a really strong group of people who go in at the beginning of teacher-led projects, six to eight weeks long, and then at the end. And they spend an entire day there at the beginning, an entire day there at the end, and they often come back in between. And they share their stories, explain to young people how sport has helped them be the best they can be. It's taught them to be resilient. It's taught them about teamworking. It's taught them to be confident and have self-belief, which is absolutely critical. I've got a short film that I want to show you to show you kind of the impact that this programme can have. I'm Wayne Instraw. I go to Bedford Academy and I'm 16 years old. The bullies made me feel lost as a person, made me feel like I hit rock bottom in life. It might sound a bit extreme, but I didn't feel like living anymore, really. I got involved with the Living by Sport project. My mum had the go attitude. She really believed in me, said, you can do it, Wayne, you can learn to swim. I had a massive fear of the water. I thought, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. I just thought, give it a shot. What could go wrong? The swim lesson uh, was incredible in a way. We started off trying to kick our legs and trying to get to the other side, so using the width of the pool. Uh, sadly, I didn't make it to the other side. I was halfway. <laughs> I just got out of breath. <laughs> Definitely, yeah, I've gained confidence from swimming. But I've overcome that fear. I can overcome other fears and other obstacles in life. One of the Living for Sport mentors, she came into the school and started doing rugby drills. She believed in me and said, go down to your local club, watch Bedford Blues, and I just never looked back. Let's go. Off you go, Wayne. When I'm playing rugby with my team, it's uh, the best feeling ever. It just feels like a massive brotherhood with like a band of brothers. And all the skills that you gain from it is massively important. It's just fantastic now, the journey I'm on. Honestly, I can't thank Sky Academy enough for giving me a new passion. So what Wayne didn't explain in that video is that he, was, he had dropped out of mainstream classes. He'd been so badly bullied that he couldn't manage being in, in classes in school anymore. And his teacher, who saw briefly in the clip had managed to almost get him back when his father died, and that was it. He was a goner, really. He wasn't ever going to go back into school again. They kind of lost hope with him. And living for sport was his teacher's last effort to try and get him back. And since then, not only is he back in school doing well, but he's also mentoring others. So he's a, he's a story that we're all really, really proud of at Sky. So living for sport works because we have a brilliant partner in the Youth Sport Trust, there's no way that we could deliver this without them, absolutely no way. We have a brand that we know resonates with young people. In fact, YST have told us that we're the only organisation they've ever worked with in their history where the teachers have asked for the brand to be bigger on the T-shirts. We can coalesce role models, like David Beckham and Jess, but also like the team of 80 athlete mentors who work with us in a way that not all brands can. And we're very focused on impact and not just input, so we know from our research that 96% of participants who come out of Living for Sport feel more confident as a result. 90% of them have improved attitudes towards learning. And 48% of them, like Wayne, are inspired to mentor others. 
We want to build out from Sky Sports Living for Sport with Sky Academy and to help open up many more young people to the opportunities that these kind of schemes can offer. So we're going to be doing that in four ways, with four big initiatives and a fifth strand to follow next year. The first one is Skill Studios. This is something that we have open already in our Austerley headquarters here in London. Young people come in, get to tour our broadcasting facility that you saw an image of earlier, and then they get to go into a bespoke set of four studios and make their own news report about something they're studying at school. So there is a curriculum link. They go away with real learning about a subject that's in, in, important within their learning at that point in time. But the output for us isn't about that learning. The important thing for us is they come out with feeling more confident and with life skills acquisition. So, for instance, team working, communication, problem solving. We're going to be rolling this out to another three locations, Livingston, Leeds and Dublin, over the next few years. Each of these facilities reaches 12,000 young people each year. Living for Sport, I've talked to you about already. Sky Academy Scholarships is quite different to those two schemes. It's about supporting few people right at the, um, a key point in their careers where they, they, they really need some additional funding and mentoring support to supercharge. So this is Kate Whitley, who's one of our current art scholars, and we've provided her with £30,000 funding plus very senior support from the arts industry and from Inside Sky. We've enabled her to create her own company. She puts on classical music performances in unusual places. This is her launching her company, Multistory, in a car park in Peckham to 800 people a couple of months ago. She's a really extraordinary individual, and we're very proud to be able to support people like Kate across the arts, but also sports and uh, now television as, as part of Sky Academy. And Sky Academy starting out, which is about increasing the amount of opportunities that Sky offers to young people coming into our business. So you'd expect us as a big organisation to provide work experience opportunities, apprenticeships, graduates. We do all of that already, but we're going to be doubling the, the amount of um, opportunities that we offer over the next three years. And we have a fifth major strand that we're going to be adding next year. I'd love to tell you more about this, but it doesn't exist yet. Uh, we're just in the process of working it up um, and have a session in a couple of days' time with Jeremy, our chief exec, to talk through the options. We've got the support of Melvin Bragg um, to develop this up, so he's bringing his raft of experience but also um, uh, connections in the arts to this. But we have quite a strong place to play in this space. We have four arts channels, and we've been supporting the arts sector on the ground for a number of years through um, major partnerships and sponsorships. And in fact, we've just had a major exhibition uh, with the, the V&A. So this is somewhere that we feel we can combine our strengths and heritage in the arts with our, our um, desire to help young people reach their potential. So all of these initiatives give young people practical life skills. They all build their, their confidence and they all leverage our strengths as a brand across TV, sports and the arts, all areas that we play very strongly in. We know, as I said, that our brand resonates with young people. We can bring inspiring role models to play, which first of all invite you in and then really unlock you and provide a, a, the kind of spark you need to think differently. And most of all, they're built on our belief in innovation, our belief in better, and are done at scale. We're really proud and excited about what we've done so far and hopefully what's to come through Sky Academy. But we're definitely not doing it alone. We're partnering with great organisations, not just YST, but IdeasTap, NFTS, and many others. We're very lucky to work with a team of role models that we work with, and, and, and they are absolutely collaborators with us in their own right. Of course, we work very closely with teachers 
and with specialist skills and education partners. And last but not least, we partner with the young people themselves. So you've seen from Wayne, the only reason this works is because the young people choose to take this opportunity and make the most of it. By bringing this all together, we want to play our part in helping the next generation to play theirs in what is frankly a challenging and very fast-changing world. Thank you. So um, thank you all very much, Indy. Three very different but complementary approaches there to brand-led innovation. We've got time, a whole five minutes for questions. Hello, I'm Claude Girard, working at Mass Chocolate as a, a market researcher. Uh, I was really pleased to hear that the big knit has been around for 10 years already, but a bit surprised at the same time. Um, when we work with brands, sometimes we, made the mis we make the mistake to think that the consumer gets bored quickly with year on year the same advertisement or with repeated activity. So I wanted to know how the big knit managed to survive for 10 years when 10 years ago sustainability probably wasn't that embedded and your return on investment probably wasn't the same either. I don't think this is, yeah, here we go. Um, great question, and I think we remain to be completely staggered each year. Uh, we set quite audacious targets for hats and just wait to see how it goes, and actually, year upon year, it keeps growing. It can't keep going forever. Um, I think we try and find different ways to communicate it. So this year, it's definitely had more traction because we decided to talk about it um, above the line. Um, the one thing that I think one of the points I made earlier was being consistent about how we talk about sustainability. It definitely has been a part of our brand fabric from day one. So for us, hopefully for the consumers, they see this as a, another kind of vaguely relevant, innocent-like thing to be doing. And I think that's another reason why it remains to stick around year after year. After year. Just really simple. Why, why don't you mention the yeast? Well, yeah, it, it's uh, the bottle that's, that's standing there is like a first trial with uh, with the algal soap in it. Um, uh, so we, it's, it, it, I mean, it has a soap in there, but it hasn't been uh, put on shelf yet. So it's like a, a trial production you have in your hands there. Um, and at the moment, indeed, we are figuring out how do we put that on a bottle. And it's a challenge, though, to, to communicate that uh, on the bottle because it's, it's quite a complicated story about local sourcing and applying new technology. Uh, and we haven't cracked that question yet, how to bring that message to consumers in a relevant way. It's, uh, it is a challenging thing to do. So yeah. if you have suggestions, please. <laughs> I'd say the, the, the first, well, second after water uh, on the ingredients <laughs> list is the old SLES, the sodium laurel yeah. ethyl sulfate. So... No. How do you communicate it? So, work in progress. That's innovation yeah, yeah. and action. My question actually is what made you, your company, decide to choose the Sky Academy and developing skills as your social program? What was the process behind it to choose that area? I think when we did the Future Gazing project with Forum for the Future, it gave us real clarity in terms of where we wanted to go. It didn't necessarily tell us anything um, that we didn't know in terms of broadly where we were going, but it really focused our attention in on the major areas of opportunity. And all of the area where we could play most strongly was in a social sphere, and skills came out strongly. When you combine that with um, you know, the, the fact that we're quite a young company, 
that we are a company full of young people who have young families. There was, was a desire to play in, in supporting a generation that is challenged in ways that arguably no previous generation has been. But also we have heritage in the space. We know that through Sky Sports, Living for Sport, that we can make a difference to young people's lives in ways that does have a really positive ripple effect across their communities. So it was a combination. Anna Simpson, Green Futures. Um, I found all of your presentations very inspiring um, with their focus on what your particular brand is doing. But I was wondering, if you were to inspire another brand to copy you, what would you like them to do? I'm happy to go first. I think the message I said right at the end, which was... uh, Stick to your own principles when communicating with the consumers, but I think if you can execute it in a slightly different way, it can have more success than I think you would ever expect it to. And that goes back to the question I received previously. Why have we had the same campaign for 10 years? It's because we did something ever so slightly different. So I think just throw the rule book out and think of a really unusual way of executing a potentially really simple message, and it might have the cut through you'd be hoping for. Yeah, from my perspective, it would be the, um, these, to, to set these, these impossible goals. So really to tackle the projects which seem to be impossible when you, when you think of them. So you think of this future ahead of you and you, you identify this, what would be real, the game changer in that future. Um, and mostly it's all these like impossible uh, things to, to, to crack, basically, if you look at it from today's perspective. But just write down the impossible and say, okay, this is now the impossible goal we have set for ourselves how do we get there? And then you start to do the things that are possible to get to that impossible uh, in the end. And I'd say to look at what your brand essence and your brand purpose is. At Sky, we're there to inspire, excite and entertain. And we do that through TV, the sports and the arts. So that's why we've chosen to combine those two things in order to provide young people with, with the right skill set. And I think if you choose something which really resonates with your brand, with your business, and resonates in the right way, therefore, with your employers and your customers, you get something that's much more sticky. Okay, I think we're probably... A very, very quick one. Well, I was going to ask a question of each of you. Uh, there were humans involved in these success stories, which means that there might have been mistakes that you learned from along the way. You've shown us the, the beautiful, seamless success. Uh, is there any examples that you can give us of a challenge or a theme that was a kind of barrier for you, um, and then how you overcame it as, as a lesson for us? Well, I was, I was going to ask a similar question. Is there one thing that you could think about that you do differently in the, with the benefit of hindsight? I think, I think for me, one of the learnings that we had relating to the original question was with Sky Sports looking for sport, four years ago, that's now in a third of all schools, about 1,500 secondary schools across the UK. Four years ago, it was in 150 schools. And part of the reason for that was that it was a kind of hidden asset at the side of the business, which was a really credible, amazing social program, but hadn't really been exploded internally or externally. We then attached the Sky Sports brand to that, and Sky Sports started to work with us. So previously we said, we've got this amazing sports brand, let's do a sports thing, and we hadn't really connected the two. And it's by bringing those two things together that Sky Sports Living for Sport has really come to life. And it's really owned by the Sky Sports team now. They give it huge amounts of support. But but as I said earlier, it's a hugely powerful combination when it comes to trying to engage young people. 
I think sometimes we, we forget all the people in this room and beyond who work at really powerful brands. We spend so much time kind of hearing about how businesses in the UK you know, are a, provide, have a negative impact on society. We forget about the massive positive potential we have to inspire and change lives, and we just need to be a bit braver in that, I think. Uh, yeah, I think we... Uh, we often failed, indeed, in communicating our message. Uh, we did you know, a lot of things over the years, innovations, uh, often technical innovations. Um, and then we try to bring that well, sustainability message to consumers. And uh, we, yeah, we, we often failed to get connection with consumers with that message because it was a bit too boring, too, too technical, too, too old green style. Um, so we're, we're really trying to, uh, to get away from that and, and, and to build on... on yeah, a new kind of messaging which does connect, um, but that's also yeah again very early days to uh, to see that come true. But yeah, I think a lot more work to do there. I think the learning from me would be focus. So we have a number of smaller campaigns like the sustainable nutrition work that we did with the WWF, which I don't think reached their full potential because we're trying to do too many of them in a year. And the big knit's successful because it's one big push that a cross-functional team in the business really gets behind. So I think certainly the learning for me and my team specifically is to just pick one great initiative and put all of our focus and get all the right internal people engaged in the marketing department across the business and really go for it with that one thing next year. Great. Okay. Um, so we just heard a little while ago, maybe time to rip up the A to C or the A to B of marketing, perhaps, or maybe I heard that, um, but certainly time to think about things a little differently. So just to finish us off before we go and grab our cup of tea, I've got the I to N of brand-led innovation, which I've just cobbled together listening to these brilliant speakers, and it's my way of summarizing what we've heard. So um, I hope it's useful, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. So first of all, I is for imagine a different future. We heard that in all of these instances, going to the future to imagine how we might do things differently. N is for not failure, but learning, because actually lots of things may fail, but the important thing is to learn from them. N is also for nature, holding many clues. O is for ours, not mine. What struck me through all three presentations was this notion of not the brand thinking about its sort of discrete borders and its own direct impacts, but in all three cases, thinking about the, our world, not my world. Uh, v was quite hard, actually, but V was... Um, for very possible for one brand to create wider change, so a bit cheating there. Um, a is for always be consistent, helpful, and different. That was Louisa's points. T is for think system. I is for inspire. Three brilliant stories of inspiration there. O is for in originate new ideas. And N is for nod and nudge for transformative change. That is the I to N, a brand of innovation. Hope you take it away with you, use some of it, and create that transformative change that we'd all like to see. Thank you very much. Thank you.